Thank you for that. I certainly appreciate that. And uh, what, a, uh, what a great truth that we'll sing for all of eternity, that's for sure. And we'll praise the Lord for all of eternity. Revelation chapter number 20, or this evening rather, and uh, we'll, we'll cover a little bit of the last half of the chapter as well. I'll just give you a few points that I, uh, I think are relevant out of the last half of the chapter that I find fascinating um, and, and interesting at the same time. Revelation chapter number 20 and verse number one, we'll start there. The Bible says this, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on, that, on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Let's stop right there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you for the privilege that we have to be gathered around your word in your house, Father, on a Sunday night. And God, we do thank you for the liberty that we continue to joy, enjoy to freely preach your word in this country. And Father, I pray that you would use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you would help us, give us again uh, understanding minds and understanding hearts. Father, as we, uh, uh, as we study your word tonight, and God, I pray that you'd help us to have clear understanding of these things. And God, we'll certainly thank you for that. We'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we look at this passage, uh, I've just simply entitled it, The Millennial Reign and Judgment is really what chapter 20 is about. And the millennial reign of Jesus Christ is a literal 1,000-year reign of Jesus on the earth. And uh, the Old Testament really even foretells this, uh, that, that, hey, that Jesus Christ is going to come and reign on this earth. That's why, by and large, you've heard me mention when we study the life of Christ or look at things, by and large, the, the majority of the Jews miss Jesus. They didn't accept him as the Messiah because they were expecting a king to set up a reign physically here on this earth. And many of them, honestly, in the time frame that he came, as they were there under the Roman rule, uh, they were welcoming to, to Jesus to come and set up an earthly kingdom. Uh, but of course, that's not what Jesus did. And, uh, and so you know they were expecting that. It is foretold in the Old Testament. By the way, until now, Jesus has not set up an earthly reign on this earth. And so those uh, scriptures and those prophecies uh, have yet to be fulfilled, but I can guarantee you they will be fulfilled because God's word always comes forth. And, uh, and if he said it, it's going to happen and we need to be aware of that. And so it will take place and, uh, and, and we'll see that in this chapter and in this portion of Scripture. Notice that this is after uh, that great war that took place that we discussed and how they were uh, just destroyed. And, uh, and we see then that, uh, that the Bible says here in verse number 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven. And I want you to notice here in these first three verses the restricting of Satan. 
And uh, up till now, uh, Satan has been involved in this earth. Matter of fact, the Bible refers to him in, uh, in Corinthians, either 1st or 2nd Corinthians chapter 4. It refers to him as the God of this world. And there's no doubt that he does uh, have a, a place that he has dominion and he rules without this, uh, throughout this earth. We saw in other passages in the book of Revelation where it called uh, a certain place as the very seat of Satan. In other words, that man, it, it is where Satan has a dominant stronghold in that place. And so there's no doubt that, uh, that Satan has a great power and he has been allowed uh, to work on this earth. But in verse number one, we see that the Bible says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, watch this, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And we find that this angel is coming down and uh, I want you to notice that he has the key uh, to the bottomless pit. That is a great deal of authority. Uh, and listen, I don't believe this angel is Jesus Christ himself, uh, but I do believe it's fascinating that, uh, that Jesus Christ himself gave the key to an angel and said, hey, go bind Satan. Uh, what, a, what an amazing passage. What an amazing amount of authority. Go back with me to Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 18. And uh, we know that Jesus Christ holds the key to the bottomless pit because the Bible tells us that. Uh, Revelation chapter number 1 and verse number 18. The Bible says in Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead. That is Jesus Christ. In other words, that he died and rose again from the dead. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. And so Jesus is the one that holds those keys. And we find that uh, here the angel is given the key to the bottomless pit and, uh, and he's allowed uh, to go and, and lock up Satan. And uh, boy, that key represents that authority and that angel has great authority. And, and listen, that's important because we need to understand that God maintains the authority of this earth. Uh, Satan is only allowed to do what God allows him to do. You remember in the book of Job, uh, and, and uh, uh, Satan comes to God and says, Hast thou considered thy servant Job? And, uh, and God says, Oh yeah, Job's a good guy. And, and Satan being the accuser of the brethren, you could kind of see him taunting God and saying, uh, Man, he only serves you because he's rich and wealthy and doing well. And, and, and God says, You know what? You can take away everything that he has, but don't touch him. Notice the authority that God uh, um, holds over Satan, even though he may be the God of this world, there's still many things that he is not allowed to do. And God retains the authority and the power, even though uh, Satan certainly rules within this earth in some aspects. And, uh, and eventually God does say, hey, you know what, you can touch his health, but don't take his life. And, uh, and so there's these restrictions that God places. And so we see a great authority that is given. And I find it fascinating because the Bible says uh, that he had a great chain in his hand. 
And, uh, and I just find that fascinating. Um, you know, you could, you could go off on many tangents and you could run many rabbit trails and find many things. Uh, and, and I don't know if it's a uh, proverbial chain. Uh, I don't know um, what all it may entail. But I know this, that God said, hey, to an angel, go get Satan and bind him. And, uh, and that authority was given to this angel. Not only this, but I want you to notice this. Uh, the Bible says, uh, having the key of the bottomless pit. Uh, I find that quite interesting. Uh, matter of fact, if you think about the idea of a bottomless pit, uh, that's, boy, one, my mind can't even wrap my head around it because how do you have something with no bottom? That's just uh, beyond my comprehension, to be honest with you. But what it does tell me, you know what the problem is? Uh, I was a missionary for, for many years and traveling. Man, I loaded my car. You know what the problem is? Space. You're always limited by space. What you can put in. You know, there's always that bottom. There's always that top. There's always those sides. There's always that door that has to close. If you have luggage, you know, and, and you're trying to fit everything and there's always that space limitation. However, in the bottomless pit, there's no space limitation. In other words, could you fathom the, the amount of things that could be thrust into a bottomless pit uh, and it would never fill up? Last week I mentioned the untold countless multitudes that are in heaven and, uh, and notice this pit is bottomless and, uh, and could you imagine how many people could fall into the pits of hell or the bottomless pit and it would never fill up? There's no space limitation. Uh, you know, you think about time. Uh, right now, they, they say uh, that the, the world population is 8 billion people. I, I can't even begin to wrap my head around 8 billion, to be honest with you. If you had 8 billion pennies and set them here, I mean, I just, I couldn't even fathom the amount of space it would take up. I couldn't fathom even counting them all. Um, I, I fear that we would be here for more than three weeks if we all were to count them. And, and, uh, and it would just be a massive undertaking. And so I can't cannot even wrap my head literally around 8 billion people, but that's on planet Earth today. Do you realize the Earth is, uh, is about 6,000 years old? And how many people have lived throughout that time? I'm just saying, I couldn't even begin to guess the multitudes of people uh, that, that have died and are in hell today. And, and we'll be, I mean, you were talking, these are things that have not even taken place. We're talking the tribulation has not even taken place yet. And, and watch many people will die throughout the tribulation period. And, and boy, it's just a, a mind-blowing to think about the amount of people that have lived and walked on this earth and rejected Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior and are currently in that place called hell. And there's a reason I believe that it's referred to as a bottomless pit. Uh, it will never fill up. It's not able to be filled. And so we see this angel in verse number one. I find it just fascinating to, uh, that they worded it, the bottomless pit. Uh, notice his arrest uh, in verse number two. The Bible says, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Um, could you imagine uh, the, the rejoicing in that day, uh, at least in heaven? I mean, maybe, uh, you know, those who know the Lord, uh, there would be a great joy over that. 
on occasion I see I see uh, posts about Ohio's most wanted fugitive or fugitive of the week, I think they call it, and, and how this guy was apprehended or that. And, uh, and you think of, uh, you know, America's most wanted. Listen, this is the universe's most wanted for all time. I mean, we're not talking about, uh, uh, you know, a man that lives on this earth. We're talking about uh, the devil. The Bible says very clearly that old serpent and the very fact that he's, he is, he's arrested and, and that he is going to be uh, thrown into to the bottomless pit. Boy, what a great day that is for those who are saved. Uh, and those who are uh, on God's side, look at verse 3. And the Bible says, And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a season. And he is contained. The Bible says there that he sh they shut him up and set a seal upon him. And even though he may be powerful, even though he may be intelligent, even though he may be slick, uh, he is not slipping out of God's prison. There is no escape for him. Uh, and there's a thousand years in which he is completely contained. And, uh, and, and notice this in verse number three there, that uh, the Bible says that he should deceive the nations no more least for that thousand years. And uh, listen, the devil is a liar, and he is a fabulous liar. He's really good at liars, uh, being a liar, rather. Uh, he's, a, he's one of the best slick-talking uh, people that you will ever uh, encounter. And the Bible paints him as that very clearly all throughout Scripture from the day we find him in Genesis 3 in the garden uh, trying to uh, deceive Eve in the garden all the way till the last, till the very end. He is known as the father of deception. He's a liar. And, uh, and the Bible's very clear about that. And, and listen, just mark it down. Uh, if, if you think that it came from the devil, then it's just wrong. It's just a lie. Uh, he's a perfect lie teller. You know what? A, you know what a good lie is. I didn't know. I don't know this because I'm a good liar. I'm not. Um, I know this because I studied the Bible. You know what the You know what the Bible teaches us about a good liar? They have a skin of a truth stuffed with a bunch of baloney. Uh, that's all it is. I mean, he he took the the ideas that God gave to Eve and uh, and and reiterated them, but then he changed them inside. And so it sounded very similar to what God had said, but it really was not. And he's a liar, the Bible says. He's a deceiver of the nation. And so we find the restricting of Satan here in these first three verses. I want you to notice this in, in verses 4 through 6. Uh, we notice the reign of Christ. Look in verse number 4. It gets interesting in verse 4. The Bible says, And I saw thrones... And they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Let me just stop here and, and point out this at the reign of Christ, that this time frame that it's talking about is a literal 1,000 years. 
And, and listen, uh, if you don't think so, look at, look at how many times it's mentioned. I took in my Bible and I underlined this in verse number two. At the last part of it, it says, and bound him a thousand years. Verse number three, around the middle, it says, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. Verse number four, at the end part of it, it says, reigned with Christ a thousand years. Verse number five, in the middle of the verse, again, until the thousand years were finished. Verse number six, at the end, it says, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And verse number seven, and when the thousand years are expired. Do you think God's trying to make a point for verse two, all the way down through seven, for five consecutive verses, God points out the fact that it is a literal 1,000 years that's going to take place. And some people say, well, this is the only chapter in the Bible that it's mentioned. Well, that may be, but God sure made up for it because he mentioned it five times. He said a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. And he's trying to illustrate a point uh, that, that, hey, there is literal a thousand years that Jesus Christ is going to reign on this earth. Uh, there's some old teachings uh, and old, old theology. Uh, one of the older ones uh, was that um, it was called post-millennialism. And the common thought used to be that uh, Christ would come after the thousand-year reign. And the church ushers in the millennium. Uh, but we have several problems with that. Obviously, we see Christ coming uh, before that. Uh, and then we don't see the picture, uh, the church in the picture. And so uh, there's a problem with that. You go back to chapter number 19 and we see that Christ came and, and there was a great war that took place on earth and, and just following consecutive order uh, kind of would have a problem with that. There's also the uh, amillennium and they reject that there is a literal 1,000 year reign of Christ. And greatly, they spiritualize the book of Revelation. So they don't take the book of Revelation as a literal book. Uh, and, and as a book that is talking literally, but rather figuratively. And, uh, and obviously, we take the book of Revelation as a very literal book. Uh, we believe that uh, the things that are written, we believe that they're going to take place physically and, uh, and that these are things that are uh, written and, and God said it and he's going to do it and it's a literal book. And so we find uh, some of these things that are there and, and just notice that he points out many times the thousand years that are going to take place. Uh, in verses 2, 3, and 7, uh, notice that the devil is bound literally for those thousand years. And in verse 4 and verse 6, it's very clear that Christ will reign for those thousand years. And so uh, those, those thousand years are just pointed out very clearly there in those verses. Uh, not only the, the time frame, can we notice during the reign of Christ? But I want to focus for a little bit on verse number four, those thrones. And uh, the Bible says in, in verse number four, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And uh, let's go, keep reading. We'll, we'll do this this way. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand 
years. Now the very clear part of this verse is those that are reigning with Christ very clearly uh, are, are tribulation saints. Uh, there are those who are uh, beheaded for the witness of Jesus Christ. There are martyrs who died throughout the, the tribulation period uh, that, that are following God and serving God and desire to serve God. And the Bible's very clear about that in verse number four. Notice this, uh, that it says those that, that uh, neither um, worship the beast, did not worship the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead uh, or in their hand. In other words, they did not receive the mark of 666, whether in their forehead or in their hand. They did not follow after the, the beast or his image. They were no part of that whatsoever. And very clearly, these tribulation saints, uh, many who, had, who died uh, and gave their life following the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, are going to be reigning with Christ. Now that's very clear from our context. We get that. And, uh, and as you, uh, if you were like me, I was reading that and I was scratching my head and saying, well, I thought the Christians and those that are saved are going to reign with Christ as well. Well, they are. Uh, and so there's going to be more than one group of people that are reigning with Christ. How do we know that? Go back with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. There's other verses, but I just go here for simplicity's sake, sticking with the same book. Revelation chapter number 5 and verse number 10. Look with me at this verse. The Bible says, well, let me just set the stage for you. What takes place in Revelation? Well, Revelation 1 through 3, we know our messages to the churches. We know that. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, uh, we do not see the church mentioned. And uh, it is mentioned repetitively in those first three chapters. But then the, the scene, rather, is turned to heaven. And, uh, and there's a heavenly host in chapter 4 that are worshiping God around the throne. In chapter 5, we have that same heavenly host that are worshiping God around that throne. And I just point that out to say this, that this is before the tribulation period has started. Okay, uh, it's explaining all of this that's going to unfold in heaven and the tribulation period does not start uh, until uh, chapter six, I believe. Yes, is when those seals were opened. So we're in chapter five and verse number 10. Look with me there. The Bible says, and let's go back to verse number. Um, well, we'll go back up to verse number nine. Let's go over to verse eight. And when he had taken the, the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by, the, by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Verse number 10, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and look at the last phrase, and we shall reign on the earth. And so very clearly then we can see that, hey, those that are saved and those that are born again and those that are uh, the, the church age, if I could say it that way, that is raptured out of here, very clearly is in heaven and very clearly is told in verse, uh, verse number 10 there of chapter 5 that they are going to reign with Christ. 
Okay, and so, uh, so we find, go back to Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 4. And this is kind of an ambiguous phrase here in verse number 4. The Bible says, and I saw thrones, and they, Revelation 24, and I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. The Bible doesn't really clarify, at least in my mind, uh, uh, who the them is. And I, I just allow for room that, hey, those saved uh, Christians uh, that are in our time frame, uh, those who are born again, uh, would, be a, would be there serving and reigning with Christ and serving and reigning very clearly with tribulation saints. Uh, and we can see that uh, there in that verse. And so we do know that we reign with Christ. We do know also very clearly in verse number four, there are tribulation saints who also reign with Christ. And so we find that uh, very clearly there in verse number four. Look with me in verse number five. And we get interesting here. The Bible says, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. Isn't that a fascinating phrase? Let me just stop there for a minute. But the rest of the dead, let's read it again. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. I preached this morning on the judgment of seat of Christ, the great white throne. And that is when death and hell is brought up. And so the, those who have died and do not know the Lord Jesus Christ are going to remain in hell. Uh, and the Bible's very clear during that thousand reign, uh, thousand year reign of Christ, they are not resurrected. And the Bible's very clear about that. And, and let's go on and read the rest of the verse in verse number five. And it says, this is the first resurrection. Now, I want to pause on this phrase and I want to just look at this uh, because this is a very uh, interesting phrase. And, and you say, man, what does, what does that first resurrection mean? And, and that's a very good question. When I read that, uh, I scratched my head and I said, that is fascinating phrase right there. And, and we need to look at that and we need to understand that. Uh, that first resurrection in verse number five. Um, go with me to 1 Corinthians. Save your spot here in Revelation. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at verse number 20. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 20. And follow me as we look at this first resurrection. The Bible says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 20, the Bible says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 23, but every man in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming. And, uh, and so we have some very interesting verses, but what I want you to notice here is that Jesus Christ is considered the first fruits of the resurrection. Now let me ask you this, when did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? In the future or in the past? We're right here in 2023, 
He rose from the dead in the past. All right, it's not a trick question. Um, we look back to it and we say, well, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so the Bible yet calls him the first fruits of the resurrection. Let's go to another verse because I found this fascinating. And it's just all these verses pertain to a resurrection. And so I want to look at this. Look with me in, in uh, Matthew chapter number 27. Matthew chapter number 27 is, of course, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's very fascinating. Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 51. And I've never really understood this passage. And I'll confess to you, even now, I don't really fully understand this passage. I understand the words. I do not understand the significance and the meaning of all of the things that are taking place. Uh, Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 51. The Bible says this. Um, and behold, let's go to verse number 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. So Jesus has just died on the cross. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Verse 52, pay particular attention to this. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't think I've ever heard a message preached out of these verses. I'll be flat honest with you. Uh, and I've been in church a long time. Uh, and I don't think I've ever heard somebody preach about it. And, and, and you look at that and you say, what on earth is going on there? I'll tell you exactly what is going on because I understand this part of it. It's exactly what it says. There are people who rose from the dead and they walked into Jerusalem after Jesus Christ's resurrection. That's what it was. You say, preacher, you believe that? I absolutely believe it. It's written right there in plain English and where common sense makes sense, seek no other sense. I don't have a reason to believe other. Now, why? I don't understand all the whys. I don't understand the reasoning behind it. I don't understand all the implications. But I can tell you this, that it took place. Now, bear with me, because we're going somewhere. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The Bible says that these people, after the resurrection of Jesus, rose from their graves, walked into Jerusalem, and people saw them. And so what happened after that? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. The Bible doesn't tell us. I'm just telling you as a statement of fact that it took place and that it happened. Go with me. Uh, so we see Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. We even see some fruit of that resurrection right here in Jerusalem as these saints, the Bible does make it clear that they are saints, they are people who have trusted Jesus Christ, rose from the dead on that day and walked into Jerusalem. That's very fascinating to me. So we have those that re rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, we already went there, we're not going to go there for sake of time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, both of those deal with the, the church age Christians, those who are born again, raising from the dead. Uh, first, let's go over to 1 Thessalonians, we'll look at it really quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and uh, verse number 13, if I'm not mistaken. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul is giving a great truth. And he says here, But I would not have you be ignorant. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 
In verse number 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Those are people who are dead. Uh, which are asleep, uh, that ye sorrow not, even as others, which have no hope. He's talking to Christians because he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them, which also, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Let me just pause here and tell you that the word prevent uh, in the Old English means this, that we will not precede them. We're not going to go before them, uh, but rather that they are going to go before us. Let's continue reading there. Uh, in verse number 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And look at verse number 16, And the dead in in Christ, those are saved people that have physically died. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And so we, we know this. We know that Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. He rose from the dead. We know that the, uh, the day that he rose from the dead, other people also rose from the dead that day and walked into Jerusalem. We know that the church has a promise that that trump will sound and that the, that day, listen, the rapture will take place. And listen, I've often said at many a graveside service, hey, listen, they're going to rise. This is just a temporary holding place for them. And this body, the Spirit's already with the Lord, but this body is bodily, physically going to resurrect from this grave. In Peru, I, they, had, um, they bury people in walls. I don't know if you've ever saw that, but it's a big, long cement wall, and it's about six foot wide, um, and, and, and they, just, uh, they have a big hole, and you slide the casket in, and uh, if you pay more money, you get down to eye level. If you pay less money, you're way at the top, where you have to get a ladder to climb up there and actually see the gravestone. And then they put that gravestone in, and they seal that thing up with cement. We was burying one of our, uh, our, our brethren there in Peru, and, and they were sliding him in there, and, and I was telling them, I was comforting the family with this passage, that, hey, he says right there in verse number 13 that we sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Hey, we have joy. And I said, I don't, I don't know how this is going to I don't know if he's going to bust out that cement and come out. And I don't know, maybe God will just, you know, break all the cement and take them out. The I don't know how it's going to happen. But I know this, that body's going to raise again. And man, what a, what a day that will be. And what I'm saying is that is a resurrection. We, based on study, I believe in the book of Revelation, uh, because the church is so prevalent in those first three chapters, all the messages are relevant and to the churches. And we spent time preaching on that. And in chapter 4, uh, you don't see the church any longer. And in 4.1, we see that trump. Uh, and, and I understand uh, some are like, well, that's not real strong. No, but those first three chapters are very clearly to the church. And after that, not a single message is given to the church. That is clear. So the church is gone. And, and we're raptured out. 
And what I'm saying is there is a resurrection that will take place at that time of the rapture, uh, just as Jesus Christ was resurrected, just as those people, those saved saints, were resurrected at Jesus' resurrection, and the church will be resurrected. And then go with me now to um, uh, Daniel chapter 12. I want you to see this as well. Daniel chapter number 12. We have, not, uh, we have not really looked at a lot of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel lines up a lot with Revelation, and there's a lot of great uh, information there, but um, we have not really touched much of it. But Revelation chapter, or Daniel, excuse me, Daniel chapter number 12 in verse number 1, notice this. The Bible says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that is found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, watch this, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That I find very fascinating because he predicts a, a resurrection that will take place, but not just a resurrection, a resurrection of those that are saved that will go into everlasting joy, and then another resurrection of those that will be resurrected to everlasting shame and contempt. And if you have any doubt about what that is, that's what I preached on this morning. The judgment of God when death and hell will be brought up and they'll be stood before God. And God will judge them and then cast them into the lake of fire. That is what that is referring to. It's very clear, at least the second part of that. The first part would be the resurrection of the saints. Uh, let's go on in verse number... Three, and they shall be and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn uh, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. Even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, it falls right in line with where we're at in the book of Revelation. And we find that uh, he made that, that God had given him uh, the insight to know, hey, there is a resurrection. So let's come back to Revelation chapter number 20 and verse number 5 where we stopped. And I want you to notice this. In verse number 4, we see that uh, those who have been uh, beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, those people are going to be reigning with Christ. If they're going to reign with Christ, there must have been a bodily resurrection for them. And so we find that the Bible says then in verse number 5, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. We've seen that in Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 2. This is the first resurrection. Now I want to define for you the first resurrection as best as I can and as best as I can humanly explain to the best of my knowledge. This is, um, this is my understanding. Because that, that first resurrection in our minds, we think, well, it's the, the very first, but wait, we have Jesus rose from the dead. He was the first fruits. 
We have those saints that rose from the dead when Jesus rose from the dead and walked in into Jerusalem. We have the church that will be resurrected, those saved saints uh, that will be resurrected. And then we have tribulation saints that undoubtedly will be resurrected. Daniel talked about it in chapter 12. And so what I'm saying is this, what we look at as here's one, two, three, four, God who is timeless and transcends time can look at it all as one resurrection. And he does not have to view it as, well, here's the first, when Jesus rose from the dead. Here's the second, when those, those saints, Old Testament saints, that were saved, rose from the dead. Here's the third, when the church rises from the dead, when that trumpet sounds and we're called out of here. Here's the fourth, when the tribulation saints are risen from the dead. But God can look at it because he transcends time and say, this is the first resurrection. And it pertains to those that are saved. And there will be yet another resurrection because those that are dead, the Bible's very clear, will be raised again at the end of that thousand years. So you have tribulation saints who died, were resurrected, and are reigning on earth. And then uh, you have the dead that have not trusted Christ that will be resurrected at the end of that thousand year reign of Christ. And so I hope that at least helps clarify and understand that verse uh, because there is some depth to it. There is some, uh, some interesting things about that. And so I want you just to see that. Uh, we see the reign of Christ. Then we see, I want you to notice this, the revolt of Satan. In verse number 7, look with me verse number 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Look at verse number eight. These are pretty straightforward. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Let me just stop and pause and say this, that it's hard for me to fathom that thousand year reign of Christ without the influence of Satan on this earth. I was going to point out, uh, the, the Bible says that the lion shall lay down with the lamb, and, and, and those verses, I believe those pertain to that millennial reign of Christ when Christ is on the earth, and the wickedness of sin uh, is not so heavily present. I'm hesitant to say does not exist, because man still has a sin nature. The, the influence of Satan is certainly bound and, and thrown out, and, and that is no longer influence. But I submit to you, and I think this, that man still with his uh, sinful flesh will still have a hard time. And the Bible talks about that in, uh, in the book of, of Matthew, chapter 24, if I'm not mistaken. And so uh, I would align that there. Uh, but nonetheless, we see the revolt of Satan, and he's loosed. And, and you say, well, why is he loosed? I don't know. I'm not God. When we get to heaven, we'll ask God. I don't know all the whys, but I can tell you it's going to take place. And after that thousand year reign that they are going to lose Satan, he will be uh, influencing and deceiving the nations, as the Bible says. And, and that's very clear uh, because he goes to uh, the four quarters of the earth. He goes far from the, the, the reaches of the reign of Christ, as far from him as he can. And he gathers people together. And notice his deception in verse number eight. And shall go out to deceive. He's going to go back to his old tricks. And he forms a rebellion in verse number eight. 
Look at verse number 9. We find it's quickly squelched. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. Look at this. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. It was a very short battle. It was a short rebellion that was risen up. And, and uh, I find it just fascinating. I comment on that further. We won't uh, look in verse number 10. We find that final, final sentencing of Satan. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever. We find that he's finally sentenced and he will not get loose. And he will not be allowed to deceive and continue doing what he's ever done before. Lastly, verses 11 through 15, we have the retribution from God. We notice the throne of judgment. Uh, we've seen that this morning. We see all people are judged. And uh, I want to point this out. I found it fascinating. In verse number 11, the Bible says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I found it fascinating as I was looking at that and thinking about that very phrase that uh, they, they fled from him. Uh, the, the Bible says the heaven and the earth. And one of the commentators said this, that uh, we know that, that God's going to do away with the earth. And so the thousand year reign ends and God could very well be done with the earth and the heaven and, and devour them and, and burn them up and they're gone. And that's why uh, there was found no place for them. That he calls them out of, out of hell and, and brings them up to be judged. And there is no earth and there is no heavens that it, like we know it today. And you'll notice in John 21, the Bible says, And they saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And so uh, that does kind of fit with that. And I just found it fascinating that it fit in there uh, in that verse. And so, uh, of course, they will be judged. And, uh, of course, that is the second death. And, and, of course, we see the book of life. And so there's a lot of fascinating things about the judgment of God that will take place, the great white throne. And that is those that are lost uh, will stand before God. And the Bible is very clear that, uh, that, that after the reign of Christ, after that thousand years, that the dead are going to be brought back uh, and they're going to be raised again uh, and they're going to be judged at that time and so we see that and death and hell uh, were, were, were before God and so we see that in this judgment time and so uh, it's very fascinating to look at all of that and I hope and pray that that's a help uh, and an encouragement to you as we think about the millennial reign and the judgment of God as we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed I know that's a lot of information, but I pray that it's a help to you. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for your word. And God, how incredible and how deep and how wonderful it truly is. And God, there's undoubtedly many things in your word that we do not understand. God, I pray that you'd give us the grace and the strength and the mind to understand the things that we need to understand. And God, most importantly, I pray that you'd help us to use the things that we do know 
to live for you. I pray that you'd help us to follow you and obey you and walk with you and God witness for you and God do what you would have us to do in our lifetime. And God, there's many fascinating things about end times and there's many interesting details that we could certainly discuss and spend time going over. But God, I pray that you'd help us to see that you have it all under control and that, God, we need to live our life here in this day and age that we live and be a witness so that people can trust you before it's too late. I pray, Father, that you'd bless and encourage and strengthen every believer that's here. And, Father, we'll thank you for that. God will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we, the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. The altar's open. There's still time. All right. We'll bring our invitation to a close.